this week, three sides of the coin. They just seem a little weird. We're not talking about the four knuckleheads on this show. We're talking about how Kiss, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, and Stars remade rock and roll. We're joined with author Doug Broad. I had to think of Lisa to remind myself of his last name. Um, you know, as you guys can see, we've got three of the four. During the interview, we've got four of the four. We end the interview with three of the four. Get used to it. That's just a way of life around here now. I can't even keep track of who's rotating in and out on our weekly shows. Actually, Lisa, you disappear at one point during the show, too. Yes, I do. You had to be a Mom. mother. You had to be a mother. I got to put on the mom hat. <laughs> Would you boys stop fighting? <laughs> and one of those boys was Brian, right? Exactly. You know, and then we have another one who just took his toys and went home. He yeah. can't put on the dad hat. <laughs> exactly. I don't, isn't the dad hats something we love to be the bad guy? I think it wears us all out, honestly. Like, I'm exhausted and I wasn't even part of it. I'm just exhausted. <laughs> tired <laughs> quiet now nobody's flushing toilets above you oh you're not in the basement no i moved i moved from the basement oh uh, okay so no more toilet flushing no i'm sorry no no now it's just doors banging and stuff like that now it's a different yelling screaming now. screaming yelling it's a different sound now kids <laughs> threatening to murder dads dads threatening to murder kids I was told to stay out of it. <laughs> That's a smart thing to do. Just... I, went out, I, went, I went to check. I go, everybody okay? Mom, this is not your conversation. Stay out of it. I'm like. That's music to my ears. I'm done. I'm out. I'm done. I'll I'm get done. a beer and move on. What you tell me? Um, so, hey, Ed, got any comments you want to share? Yeah, from this week's um show or last week's show with butch patrick eddie munster from the munsters um alisa arellano a-r-e-l-l-a-n-o sorry uh alisa i'm sorry if i'm butchering that uh kiss presented many styles and it made them one of the best bands ever something for everybody can't get any better than that and then there's a lot of people that talked about the munsters and the adams family uh being very similar to kiss where they would see it all tie in so there you go. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, but I'm still in flying high from talking to Eddie Munster. Was that, really, was cool. that was that just was really cool. freaking cool. Yeah, what a nice guy, too. You know? super, super nice, super nice. I mean, you know, we all grew up watching Eddie Munster. Mark mm -hmm. watches it, still watches him every single night. Yeah, it's probably what he's doing right now. Exactly. It's like, I'm going to go hang with my old best friend because my new best friends are being mean to me on Zoom. I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. See? Everyone's taking their toys and going home. Something in the air, isn't there? Yep. yep. We've all been pent up just a bit too long. And it's going to go yep. longer. Yeah, sadly it will. Um, all right. So, I mean, there's nothing to talk about in the KISS world. Sadly. You know, I wish... 
Honestly, I wish Kiss would do something. Yeah, I'm not doing something with Soul Station. Well, yes, he just recorded a video, but no idea when Soul Station is coming out. It is coming. Um, At least there's, there's progress. It's just like, you know, I'm not saying Kiss go in the studio and record an album. Not that I wouldn't love that. But, you know, remember when Paul did a couple of those Facebook streams of him in his rehearsal room cool. playing yep. and talk, sharing stories? Do those. Do more of those. Do something. I mean, we're going to be here for a while, people. I mean, it's sad to say, but I don't think touring at a major level is going to come back until second half of next year at the earliest, at the earliest. So we're going to be here for a while. Let's come on, kids. Do something for us. You got such a great history stories catalog whatever it is do something please please do something everybody else is doing stuff alice cooper's releasing a new album god damn it acdc released a new album that acdc album phenomenal you guys heard it yet I haven't heard it. No, I haven't. you got you gotta go listen to it i mean i would not say i'm a massive acdc fan but this album really strong really yeah, cover is cool yeah i went to walmart the other day to get it and kyle had bought all of them already <laughs> seriously fucker what's he doing auctioning them like the dead guy well because it's red vinyl it's limited edition so for all of you that don't have your splatter love gun get out there and get one I heard those have all been scooped up by KISS fans who are now eBaying them for large dollar amounts. So could very well be, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, we've got a new ACDC album. Alice Cooper released a new single, announced a new album. Cheap Trick announced uh, a brand new album's coming, released a new single. Hello, yeah. KISS. Where are you? Where are you? Styx, I believe, is recording a new album. Mm-hmm. KISS, where are you? And then Tommy Shaw just put something out not too long ago. Oh, and also two guys, our buddy Andy, Black Veil Brides. Oh, that new, new single. The it's new really single, really good, Black Veil Brides. Really yes, and we've yes. got and we've got Andy coming up in a week or two, I believe, to join us. Oh, okay, great. I was just texting with him the other day, but he didn't mention that. Yeah, no. Um, yes, check out the new Black Veil Brides. Really good. There's, yes, there's, there's there's still a lot of great music happening. People kiss. Where's your music? Please, yeah, something, something. Get out there and support these bands. I mean, I know they had a they had a problem, um, and straighten that out. So they've got a new member now, and everything is really good. So, you know, get out there and support. They're very good, yep. good guys. But this week we are joined. Super cool discussion. Doug Broad, author of "They Just Seem a Little Weird," how Kiss. Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, and Stars remade rock and roll. And boy, do we get into some discussions on all four of those bands. And to Lisa's pleasure, we show a lot of love to Stars. Mm-hmm. Love, love, love me some Stars. <laughs> I love Stars. And I came into Stars late. I didn't start, like, real, I never really knew of Stars until, like, like 91. I still remember seeing that photo of them. It was taken from like 
behind a monitor board on stage. So you're kind of looking over the backs of them playing some big show somewhere. And it's the first time I saw stars. I'm like, wow, these guys, is that kiss without makeup? Am I sure these guys aren't kiss? Oh, did you ever see Richie's costumes? It has the yeah, it's really yeah. yeah, and the boots and everything else. It's just like, oh my god, this is this looks just like Kiss, just no makeup on. Did Kiss do a show without makeup? So anyway, very fun discussion about four bands, and we go off on a little Ted Nugent tangent and some Alice Cooper, and you know, we really get into it though. This is this this is what three sides is all about rock and roll love damn right so let it roll this is three sides of the coin talking all things kiss i want to rock and roll all night you're listening to three sides of the coin Want to get your official Three Sides of the Coin logo and Shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. Hey, Three Sides listeners. We're honored to be joined by another author. It seems like Lately, we've been going author crazy, but there's a lot of great books that have been coming out. Today, we are joined by Doug Broad, who's the author of They Just Seem a Little Weird, How Kiss, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, and Stars Remade Rock and Roll. What a cool book. I mean, so before we even get into it, as soon as you sent the book over and I saw the cover, and this this is a good statement it made me feel like the books i used to get as a kid in the 70s well because you know i i remember books that were similar to this it's like all right we're gonna look at the that's why yeah you know the headliner books the the books where it's like oh you know the unofficial books where it's like, oh, we're going to talk about some of the glam rock stars of the 70s. And yeah. we're going to talk about Kiss, David Bowie and Queen. Okay. That was my first inclination, too, when I saw it. Because yeah, remember, and- I reached out to you on Facebook. I'm like, you got to come on the show. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, good, good. For me, that was a good memory. It brought me back to the childhood of getting books like this going, oh, this is cool. It's another book about a cool some cool bands. Well, that was kind of my intention to like, you know, bring together four bands that at least to me and to a lot of other fans are seen as a unit and, um, you know, talk about their their interconnections and what they shared and sort of talk about the 70s hard rock era, but through the eyes of these four bands. So, so My, go, go ahead. Well, the first question I have for you, because what really caught me off guard is your choice of bands. And why I say that is it seems like so often the bands you actually chose with the exception of Aerosmith seem to get dismissed by people lots of times that are writing about 70s bands. They always wanna write about Bruce Springsteen or they wanna write about David Bowie or, or all these other acts which are great in their own regard, but it was really, I was like, yeah, this is cool. It's actually ones I'm interested in. How did you choose these bands? Well, to start, I mean, 
all four of them are, are big favorites of mine. I mean, Kiss was my first band. I'm sure I, I speak for, for you guys too. I mean, they were the band in 19, for me, it was 1975 that pretty much drew me to rock and roll. And, um, you know, I fell in love with them. I was a big comic book, horror, sci-fi geek. So it sort of fed into that whole aesthetic. And then when Cheap Trick came up, fell in love with them as well. I didn't really um, know of Star. I mean, I knew of Stars in the 70s, but I was never a fan, really. I didn't really get into them. Um, and when Ryko Disc released their um, CD reissues in, I guess, 2005, that's kind of when I you know, sort of got into to, to stars and Aerosmith were always kind of there and they were like this sort of humongous <laughs> band of the 70s. And I always wanted to tell the story of, of, of Kiss and Cheap Trick and that kind of union, you know, fans of one band is a fan of both bands really. Um, yeah. So when I, when I was thinking of this story, um, you know, I, I had this kind of epif epiphany when I when I was playing the Gene Simmons solo album because members of all four bands play on Gene's Gene solo album, so that yeah. kind of was the ground zero, the starting point, and then that was helpful in in sort of launching all the research into looking at you know how these bands were connected through touring, through producers, through management, through collaborations, through. <laughs> engineers through PR people. There were so many people that sort of played a role in you know, two, three, or even four of these bands. That makes sense. You know, for, for, for me, it, it felt like, you know, especially during the 70s and even the 80s growing up, um, Aerosmith was always given credit and always given the due. They were always like America's rock band, America's this. and. As a Kiss fan, I'm like, hey, hey, um, Kiss, what what about these guys? I mean, you you could definitely get into Kiss versus Aerosmith arguments that Kiss had an even bigger impact on stuff than Aerosmith. I mean, was was that your kind of feelings too? Yeah, and another thing that I wanted to touch, you know, touch in this story was, you know, I, in my opinion, all four of these bands kind of represented sort of a shift in rock in the 70s. I mean, before Kiss and Aerosmith and Cheap Trick, I felt at least a lot of the, a lot of rock and roll took itself very seriously. And there wasn't a lot of flamboyance. I mean, sure, Queen was flamboyant. There were a number of other bands that were sort of, sort of big and theatrical. But in America, aside from like Alice Cooper, you didn't have like this kind of flamboyant theatrical rock band. And these four bands, I thought, um, really kind of represented, you know, that aesthetic and, and, you know, Aerosmith, I guess you could say were a little more conventional and stereo stereotypical, but they, they took the stereotype to the sort of the zenith. I mean, they were, if you look in a, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a dictionary under the word rock and roll band, like Aerosmith looks like the ultimate rock and roll band. Yep. So that's kind of where I tried to, you know, I tried to express in this book that just the, the flamboyance, the theatricality, and the, you know, firing on all cylinders kind of rock band. You know, there's no denying that these bands were greatly influenced by bands out of Europe and, and that Europe had, you know, an incredible glam rock scene. Um, do you think these four bands could have happened if they were from Europe? 
or was this something that had that that had to have America behind it that made them uniquely different because it was American? I, I think that's it because you know the, you know you had David Bowie, you had a Slade, you had the Move. They were, but you know Slade, the Move, Sweet. They were all kind of s- small potatoes in America, really, and you didn't have that sort of you know big like in your face you know, flamboyant rock and roll band. So if they had come from Europe, I'm I, I'm not sure if they would have connected. I mean, would they have connected with you guys in the 70s? I mean, well, I probably, you know, the, the I probably wouldn't have heard of them. I mean, let's, let's be honest, in the 70s, you know, I was not getting import records. I wasn't getting import rock magazines yet. So, you know, I only, like, I only heard about Kiss because my best friend from across the street was talking about Kiss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and the suite, because they were on the radio, you know, they had hits like with Little Willie. And one of the things that was interesting was having a conversation with a friend of mine who said, if you really look at it, even David Bowie in the 70s didn't sell that many records. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how his popularity or his persona was so pushed by the media here in America, yet it felt like they were ignoring Kiss until they just couldn't anymore, which I find interesting. Well, that was one thing for me when I got into Kiss. It's like all all of my friends in school were into the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers and Led Zeppelin and that stuff was okay to me, but it but there was nothing visual visually interesting about it, and that's I, that's something that I thought you know all four of these bands really brought. They were they were visually interesting. There was stuff going on. You could look at their pictures, and they all the pictures looked different. So that was kind of what drew me the, the the visual as well as the the the, the musical element of it. So so what about Kiss got you into them to begin with? Was it the visual was it the music and how did it happen it was it was a visual i i remember seeing them on the Mer, the the mike douglas show um when gene was on and tody i guess tody fields was on yep. it was a whole exchange yeah. they had and i remember seeing them and i was like what is this this is cool i want to learn more about it and you know that was early on when you know like just about the first album. And then I saw the Paul Lynn um, Halloween show where, you know, Kiss were on that. And, you know, just seeing them was what drew me to them. And then the music was sort of secondary, but it was, it was simplistic and catchy enough that I was drawn to it. But for me, it was the visual at first. And it's something that I, I explore in the book because I talk to a lot of other musicians who have been influenced by Kiss. And so many of them say, uh, it was just the image. It was the look. I just fell in love with them. They looked so different. Some of them were like, well, no, I, I heard rock and roll all night on the radio. I'm like, who is, who are these guys? And that's what um, you know, Scott Ian told me and Kim Thale told me. It's like, it was a music first for them because they had no idea what they looked like before they heard them. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this is a question we, we ask many of our guests of was it the music or was it the visual? And it seems to me that if you've got like an older sibling or a, a, a very close friend who might be a little older that's already into rock and roll, that tends to be how the music influences you first because you're hearing this music and then you see the cover. But if you're just a young little kid, and I, you know, I'm a little kid in the 70s, had none of that outside influence. It was just 
hearing the name mentioned by somebody and then going, oh my God, that band my buddy mentioned is going to be on the Paul Lynn Halloween special. I'm, I think I'll, I'll check it out. Not knowing anything about it. Just then the visual was like, that, that was it. That hooked me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. It's like so many people don't respond to that though. I mean, I, I had such an upward battle in, in high school. There was one other Kiss fan in my entire high school. And, and that's kind of a, uh, there's a kind of a badge of honor yep. involved in that because you know, Kiss fans have to put up with a lot of bullshit when when <laughs> when we're young. I mean, we really had to put up with a lot of bullshit. No one took them seriously, and you're always like, "What aren't you getting? What what don't you get about this stuff? It's fun. It's poppy. It's it's got you know the you know great playing and good songs. It's like what's not to get? I don't know." No, you're you're 100 right. I mean, we've we've all we've all talked about how you know in high school, there's always somebody who's like, "Kiss sucks, man. Kiss sucks." Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple rules, Black Sabbath. I mean, I mean, even Aerosmith. You know, as as a kid back in the 70s, nothing against Aerosmith, but they were the enemy because they were getting the love, not Kiss. So it was sort of like, screw you, Aerosmith. That love should be going to my band. Well, there's something about you know. There's an in, there's an inauthentic inauthenticity that's sort of put on Kiss that I don't you know I don't think is very earned. Um, every, everything is inauthentic in a way. I mean, nothing really is authentic. Everyone is putting on an act. Everyone has a show. You know, the Grateful Dead do their thing and they do it well. But it, there's an aesthetic there. They they purposefully do what they do. And that's Kiss, as much of a gimmick. Yeah, and Kiss is the same. But to me, the gimmick really, you know, hit and it hit hard. Well, well and here's the thing I always tell people is that I and Google the guy's name because I don't know it. But if if David Lee Roth looked like the bass player in the Atlanta rhythm section, I don't care if he sang exactly like him. Yeah. <laughs> would go with the career. And Look, that's just being honest. And and I always tell, I used to tell people when, you know, they gave me shit about Kiss. I'm like, Bruce Springsteen, the working class guy with the, you know, the hat in his back of his, fuck, that's every bit as contrived as Gene Simmons' tongue. Exactly. And I, here's that shit drove me up the fucking wall. And here's the thing about Bruce Springsteen that I get so much shit about. I mean, I, I like him a little bit. I'm not a fan, really. But I love Meatloaf. And to me, Meatloaf was like Bruce, Spring Bruce Springsteen meets Kiss, was like taking that Springsteen yeah. aesthetic and the sound and pushing it like to this limit and this extreme that to me connected. I never connected with, with Bruce Springsteen, but Meatloaf, I was all in for the, from the first album. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, to, to me, it was always about, you know, I, I love I love the live concert. So if I'm going to go spend my hard earned money as a kid to go to a concert, I want more than just music. Yeah, I don't want to sit. You know, Tommy and I grew up in 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 the Minneapolis area. I don't want to sit in the old Met Center Arena listening to amazing music. But I might as well just close my eyes because there's nothing else going on. I'll go home and put the record on. Right. You know, if I'm going to spend that money. I want great music and I want a visual show that's entertaining. Which is I don't care who the band is. I don't care the band. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the other piece, and, and we talked about this before, is, you know, they take a lot of crap for all the merchandising, but it's like, if you were in their shoes and someone wanted a lunchbox or a garbage can or a poster, why wouldn't you do that? Because if you don't, someone else will make it. But a lot of people don't want a Bruce Springsteen garbage can. And to think for one minute that Bruce or any of these other bands don't want the money that Kiss is generating is, is a joke. Because you know I, they do. I recently commented on a Rush fan site because they were selling Kiss or Rush bobbleheads. And I just put, and I'm a huge Rush fan, but I put a little little blurb underneath and I said, hey, back in the day, didn't you guys used to make fun of Kiss fans for this? Yeah. And, Starting and a fight there, Mark. Starting a fight. The one thing that Kiss did that, I, that had me hooked from the beginning was when they included all that crap in the albums, like the posters and the guns and, you know, the love gun, paper, the paper thing. I mean, and, and, and I guess they had some tattoos in one album. Stickers and yeah. I I just love that. As a kid, you want all these presents, you know, you want all these surprises. So like, do you you remember, do you remember the first time, do you remember the first time you opened up your uh, Night in the Ruts album and pulled it out? What was on the (laughs) I don't remember. Aerosmith books, posters, you know, everything you could, t-shirts, hats, pins. Where do you think they saw that at? Mm-hmm. They looked at Kiss. And that's, again, that's, that was their influence too. And there's, there's no shame in it whatsoever. No, because if you want an Aerosmith t-shirt, you should be able to buy one and not, why not buy one from the band versus buying one on the street? Mm-hmm. You know, the quality is typically going to be better. You're going to get a better product, but people will buy on the street and I don't blame them because I would too, if there's no other options. I don't know. It's just, it's weird how people get so incensed. Like the minute that you merchandise yourself and you make some extra money, you somehow give up your validity as an artist. And I've never understood that. Well, one, one thing that all four of these bands shared is that they had great logos. So I think that was one thing that kind of, also made them pretty distinct for that period. I mean, Led Zeppelin had a great logo, sure. But, yeah. you know, Kiss, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, and especially Stars. Stars had an amazing logo. One, one band that I don't get into too much in the book, but uh, Angel is another, there you go. You know, Angel's another band from the era that, um, that had a great logo. I mean, they were another band that just, I mean, they probably had the best logo ever, I well, think. When you turn, when you turn the angel logo upside down, it's an angel. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's, yeah, just, a, it's just a remarkable kind of mathematical scientific feat. Do you, do you, Doug, do you think that's something unique to that era that's now missing? That when bands started out in the 70s, they thought about a logo. They thought about visual. They thought about all of these pieces. It was almost like you can't have a band in the seventies if you don't have this cool logo. Nowadays, I feel like people are just like logo. Now, you know, pick a font and we'll just throw that on. And that's our logo. Well, you hit on something that, that to me was extremely frustrating in, in the early two thousands, I was the editor in chief of spin magazine. And, you know, we had to think every month, who are we going to put on the cover of spin? And we were faced with these bands during that era, bands that didn't really have an image, that didn't have yeah. 
this cohesive kind of look and they didn't have logos. They didn't have, you know, aside from a band like Interpol or maybe the Strokes, I mean, they looked like gangs, which you want a band to look like a gang. So many mm -hmm. of these other bands didn't have that. They didn't have that kind of, um, because they wanted to be authentic, quote unquote authentic. So it was stripped down, it was street clothes, it was, you know, messy hair and sweaty faces. And it, it was difficult every month trying to figure out who can we put on the cover that can sell a magazine that actually looks interesting. And, uh, you know, and, and that, 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 that's interesting you bring that up because I, I work with a lot of bands with my business. And, you know, I tell them good or bad, right or wrong, People are going to judge a book by its cover. It's just reality. They're, before they hear your music, they're probably seeing a picture, a logo, a cover, something like that. And that should, going back to Kiss, that visual should hook you enough to say, okay, now I'm going to go find them on Spotify and listen to them. And I feel like that's missing a lot now. It's like, I don't know anything about your music by looking at you, looking at any of your visual branding. I couldn't tell you what you sound like. I mean, I, I think Marilyn Manson was probably the last one who really kind of put a lot of thought behind what he was doing in that right. respect. Well, and a lot of those bands from the early 2000s that you speak of are now authentically working at the Waffle House, <laughs> you know, because seriously, <laughs> I just don't think there's any shame in being successful and giving your fans what you want or what they want, you know? And I, I just, we've got a thing here in Minnesota called the Minneapolis or Minnesota music disease. And there's a whole group of people that believe that the replacements in Soul Asylum and some of those other bands, which are great in their own, they really made some great music, are the be all end all of everything. And, you know, they followed in the steps of Neil Young and da 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 da. But anything that's Aerosmith, Kiss, Van Halen, Motley Crue, Cheap Trick is all just throwaway garbage. So to your point from earlier, we've all had to take so much crap from these people for years and years and years because they just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I <laughs> at the age of fifty six, I still feel it a little bit when I tell people I wrote a book about Kiss, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> They're, they're like, are they still around? <laughs> but, you know, I, I can't help it. I, you know, I, I, I still like what I like. So, so right. you shouldn't so, feel bad about it. So, Doug, for, for Kiss and Cheap Trick, I mean, as Kiss fans, we sort of understand the connection. And especially it's rooted in the fact that Kiss took Cheap Trick out extensively during the 70s to tour. Um but if you were to look at those two bands and their connection outside of the Kiss Army world, let's take our blinders off, what, what connects those two bands? What made them appealing to broader audiences that were shared audiences? I, well, I think the, the visual element that's sort of, um, you know, Rick Nielsen and Bunny Carlos having this, this kind of, these, these kind of cartoonish personas you know, and then you have Tom and Robin who were like these, you know, hot looking, you know, rock star types. I think a lot of people would have, you know, have been drawn to, to the visual element of Cheap Trick. And the fact that the music, while not 
you know, exactly the same. It, it comes from similar roots. I mean, both bands are huge Beatles fans and you know, the whole 60s, you know, the, the British invasion, the Who were big, you know, were, were, and, and Humble Pie were, were big with both bands. So they come from very similar roots. Um, and, you know, I think as far as I'm concerned, Kiss and Cheap Trick are two of the most collectible bands. It's like people who, who buy stuff about, you know, buy stuff based on rock bands. Those are two of the bands you, you want to have. You want to buy stuff, you know, that they generate. So that's kind of a, you know, the superficial connection to me. I mean, when you look into it a little more deeply, you know, there, there are some connections with like Tom Werman, who, were in, who was involved early on with Wicked Lester, went on to produce, you know, Cheap Trick Records. Um, James Cena worked with both bands. Um, Larry Mazur, who worked with Kiss, also worked with Cheap Trick. So there are a lot of connections, you know, in the in the background between the two bands. Why Why do you think that from the statement you just made, why do you think Aerosmith doesn't fall into the same category of collectability? Because their uh, music has changed. No, I, I just don't think. I mean they don't really take advantage of it. I and mean, aside from t-shirts, there aren't like, you know, there's not a lot of Aerosmith merchandise as far as I know, is there? No. Oh, I, I say there's about the same between the two. I know I've got, you know, shirts really? and I had buckles from both. I, I'm Here's the thing that I was most, I don't know how to say this. I think there's a white elephant in a room we're not talking about. And if you were to come down from the planet Mars in the mid seventies and start opening up rock and roll books, you're missing a huge name and you're missing the connection to one of the people in your book. No Ted Nugent. Yeah. Well, that, that was someone who, who, who popped up a lot. Um, Christ. Look, that guy was playing yeah, and, and he's connected to Aerosmith. Yeah, I do. I do mention in the book that he has a bunch of connections. But to be quite honest with you, I, I'm not. A, I'm not a big fan. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of Ted Nugent's, and he doesn't really fit the jumping-off point of of all four of these, you know, bands being on Gene's album. That that was kind of the ground zero, and I wanted to keep the book true to that sort of, you know, nugget of information. But yeah, I mean, well, that's it, all fair. But I'm, but I'm, I'm thinking if, if you're looking at it this as, as a '70s time capsule where things intercede, yeah. you just made the cheap trick one. I could make a very extremely strong one with Aerosmith and Ted Nugent because they toured, and you look at all the Cal Jam, Texas Jam, Monsters of Rock. I mean, yeah, and it's not the same though for me. I would. I would agree with Doug. It's not the same. I, I mean, I know you love them and stuff, Mark, but... Is that take, take my fandom away. I'm not, I'm not even a fan of Ted Nugent. It's still Ted Nugent. Based on history. Based on... You know, that, 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 that's, what's, that's what's beautiful about talking about something like this topic is... There's countless other bands. I mean, you, you already mentioned one early on. I mean, Alice Cooper. Let's 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 be That's honest. I, I mean, if you want to go remade rock and roll, yeah. Kiss wouldn't be Kiss without Alice Cooper. Right. 
and I, and that's in the book. I mean, obviously, you know, Alice is was a big part of that kind of idea. But like I was saying, you know, Blue Oyster Cult's another band that had you know connections with all of these bands. So, um, you know, th th there are a bunch. There there are a bunch that that could have been included. In fact, some people will say, why didn't you put in Rush? I'm like Rush is Canadian. They yeah. didn't sound anything like these bands. The music is very different. Sure, they had connections with all of these other bands. In fact, all of them played with Rush at some point, but the music is not the same. And I'm not a, I'm not a big Rush fan either. So, you know, it had to be something right. that I felt impassioned about. Which you know, makes sense. You know, it's, it's almost like what we're talking about here is how 70s rock and roll remade rock and roll. The, the all of the bands out of the 70s that we've talked about and countless more that we haven't mentioned all had this ability to remake rock and roll something that i'm not sure has ever happened to that great extent since then has has you know will the bands out of the 80s 90s 2000s have as much influence on future rock and roll as what happened in the 70s. Well, yeah, I mean, that's something I also explore in the book, the idea that all four of these bands in some fashion had um, huge influence on, you know, grunge bands and hair metal bands and alternative rock bands. I mean, stars maybe not as much as the other three only because they weren't as famous, they weren't as well known, but there are a lot of big sort of, um, I don't want to say closet star stars fans, but but there are a lot of very heavy duty stars fans out there that you might not know are out there. I mean, people like Nikki Six and Ricky Rocket and a lot of the hair metal guys really, really love stars. And, and another question that I keep getting about the book is why stars? Why are they included? And, and for me, they represent this very kind of interesting band from that era. They're like a B-level band that never made it. I mean, they had many of the same opportunities. They had Kiss's management. They were on Capitol Records for four albums. They had Jack Douglas producing their music. But there was something that, that, that kept them back. Like, what held them back? And that's something that I tried to explore in the book as well. Yeah, I was just going to bring up Stars because, you know, they're, they're a band that I have a few of their albums. I'd never became a huge Stars fan. And my pathway to Stars was because of the Kiss connection. That was pure and simple. It I had no idea who Stars was until I probably saw, I remember it was a photo of them playing live and, you know, they were in their platform boots and, and everything else. And, and I was just like, wow, that looks like Kiss. These guys must these guys must be pretty cool if they look like Kiss and checked them out. Now it never connected with me, but to your earlier point, there's a lot of people who are quietly and significantly influenced by stars. What happened to stars? What what didn't align properly? Because as you just outlined, they had on paper everything going for them. Mm -hmm. Everything that you could have asked for, any band could have asked for, they had it going at the right time. It didn't work. Yeah, I mean, I, I asked a lot of people exactly that. I asked people who, you know, were at Capitol, who were at, you know, a coin management, who were, who toured with them. And, 
you know, there are, there are, and I asked the band themselves, and there's a lot of, you know, different responses to a question like that. I mean, personally, I think one of the main things that probably held them back is, you know, they were, they were the second band that Bill O'Coin took on after Kiss. So it, it, to me, it was odd that they never toured with Kiss. They played one show um, in Toledo, Ohio in 1976, opening for Kiss, but all of their other, um, their other gigs were, you know, were with, with Aerosmith opening for Ted Nugent, opening for Rush, you know, they were the quint, like they were, they were the perennial opening band and they were not second from the headliner. They were always the first one opening in the stadium, you know, when the gates were open. So they had that big barrier to entry that a lot of these other bands didn't have. And one of the things about stars that's really kind of interesting and unique is that they were never really a club band. I mean, they they were, they came out of like the O'Coin factory. They were, you know, they were helped along by Sean Delaney, who did a lot of work with Kiss. He did their choreography. He did he did a lot of their direct, you know, directing their stage presence, and he always, you know, directed them to play to the back of the room, to play to the back of the stadium or the arena. So they never really were a club band hashing it out, you know, in, in dives or in, you know, little like grungy bars like these other bands had to do. So they, they were in a really unique position that they got a lot of this attention early on, but it never really materialized with radio play, with album sales. Um, you know, they have their theories. They think that Bill O'Coin was not all behind them for one reason or another. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions about why they didn't succeed. Some musicians have told me they think their music was too complicated. The songs weren't as obvious as Kisses. They were they, they went on these weird tangents. They were they were they were songs within songs. You know, that could be true as well. So there were a lot of things that kind of um, kept them from really, you know, exploding. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, because, and you sort of just started to bring it up here, in your conversations with various people, has anybody alluded to the idea that, well, you know, maybe stars had the thumb basically put on them to never succeed by KISS? Because KISS didn't want to have Bill O'Coin have a band that became bigger than they were. And therefore, don't push these guys to their fullest extent. Is well, that, yeah, that's, that, that, that could be, there, there could be something to that. I mean, in fact, Paul Stanley in his book actually says, you know, um, the band were a little pissed off at Bill for having bands like Stars and Piper who were taking Bill's eyes off the ball. Yeah, that's know, what I was going to say. That's yeah. what I was going to say, taking their attention away from, from them. Exactly. So, so they weren't happy about it. I mean, it, there's no question. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, Bill had New England, one of his bands that Paul produced. And, you know, Gene brought bands to Bill, like he brought he brought Van Halen to Bill. Bill didn't, you know, Bill reje famously rejected Van Halen. So, I mean, it wasn't like Kiss didn't want competition within their own family. But maybe, you know, as Paul told me in the book, he felt that stars were made in too much in Kiss's image. They were too cookie cutter. 
In fact, Paul said to me that, that you know, he, when he heard the first Stars album, he said, I could have been playing on that. It sounds like Kiss to me. So there was a little bit of that, um, you know, I, they're the second band on a coin, but we got to be the first band. Well, and, and, and maybe from a fan standpoint, is that also um, an issue in that they were seen basically as Kiss without makeup? Everything else about the stars looked like Kiss. They just didn't have makeup on. And as the 70s moved on, Kiss was getting less and less critical respect for being a band, musicians, great songs. As we talked about, you're in high school, you're hearing more and more fans saying Kiss sucks. If Stars is seen as a chip off of Kiss's shoulder, basically, are fans going, well, I don't like Kiss. And if these guys are just like Kiss, they got to suck. I, there could be something to that. I mean, I, I personally think at least the first three Stars albums are really strong records that don't really sound much like Kiss at all. I mean, if anything, they, 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 they have kind of a twisted, more cheap trick vibe to them because they're more power poppy um, and the lyrics are really strange and, and, and unusual and really offensive, um, which to me, I mean, it, in a way, Kiss's stuff was offensive, but but Stars' Stars' lyrics are really twisted and and, and an like all the plug. <laughs> I mean, offensive. what a fucking crazy subject matter for pull the plug. That was a, that was insane subject. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was su I mean, it was subtle. It was it was more subtle than what you know Kiss would come up with because Kiss's stuff. I love Kiss's music, but and those early records to me are the greatest, but. The, the songs are very basic and you know exactly what they're about. But with stars, it, it, the, the, it's, it's a lot more clever. The, the, lyric, the lyric writing is a lot more clever. Um, the songs go off on these weird tangents. They're not obviously as, as sort of predictable as Kiss's stuff. So, you know, there's, there's something there, but it just never connected. Now in, in, in the book description here, you talk about, um, how Star's fate may have been sealed by a shocking act of violence. Yeah, I don't really want to give that away because it's one of the, the more interesting things, I, one of the more interesting revelations I got in the book. And um, it had to do with, with uh, Bill O'Coin and a member of Star's, uh, you know, having a confrontation. Um, and I'll, let's leave it at that. But it's, it's, a really, it's, it's, it's a really interesting story. So you're gonna, you guys are gonna have to go out and get the book to. Yeah, I want to. I want to say this. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. Well, of course. No, we get it. Well, I've got a question. Taking you back to your days at Spin, um, when you're looking at how these bands in your book shaped that '70s, then you have the glam of the '80s with the Motley Crues and Poisons and all the bands. I can understand where Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all of those bands came from as an absolute opposite of the overkill of hair metal. But what I don't understand is where do we get the, to the point that those bands in the early 2000s are just uninteresting? Like, I, where did that come from? I think you nailed it. I mean, I think it was because 
Nirvana and Pearl Jam and those bands in the early 90s, the late 80s, early 90s, they were more connected to, to the Kiss and the Aerosmiths and they were influenced by them for sure. But then as you go forward, these bands are influenced by Nirvana and Pearl Jam. So it's like they're already, you know, two or three times removed from the original stuff. So, you know, it just gets, in a, in a way, it gets watered down and watered down and, you know, until there's almost no image at all. Which I don't understand. What, where's the upside to having no image regardless of what you do? Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's something now with the kids, the kids these days, there's something, you know, there's something seen as phony if you, if you do anything. But having said that, you know, I, I took my daughter to see Panic at the Disco a couple of years ago doing mm -hmm. it in an arena. And I mean, that was a huge production and it was like, it was pyro and it was Freddie Mercury, it was Las Vegas. And I, I loved it. I, I, I liked the music and I loved the show. Yeah. And then one band at least that's kind of, that's kind of giving their all to, to entertain a crowd. Well, so you know, as, as, as you were saying that, and I've shared this story a couple of times in the past, Last year, I took my daughter to see Jojo Siwa, you know, which is this year's Britney Spears, Nickelodeon TV music star. You know, she's a huge fan of it. I, I kind of was rolling my eyes, but like, hey, if I can share music with my six-year-old daughter, great. That's awesome. But it was a huge production. It was in an arena. It was a huge stage. It was lights. It was a changing stage. But more importantly, and and these 10 year old kids and younger didn't get this, but I immediately was like, Oh my God, this girl, Jojo has got a huge influence from the seventies because she's got a Freddie Mercury mic with, you know, the half stand and she's wearing glitter clothes like Elton John. She's got a star, a glitter star like Paul Stanley. And she even did in the midst of her set, like a two or three song medley, of Elton John material and Queen material. Now, you know, my daughter's listening to Crocodile Rock going, oh my God, Jojo Siwa's got the coolest song in the world here. And I'm going, it's not Jojo Siwa's song. But it kind of, you know, as, as the old timer, it gave me a little hope that this generation coming up is paying tribute and is recognizing the influence and the importance of these people. Yeah. No, and you know, there are still some rock bands that are still plugging away, trying to do that kind of thing. Like Turbo Negro is one of my favorite bands. Yep. And to see them live is to see a band that's really been influenced by Alice Cooper and Kiss and, you know, just loving the, they just love to be entertaining. You know, you can see that in their, in their show. They, yep. they want to entertain you. What's yep. the name of the band? Turbo Negro. They're, they're um, from Denmark. They've got quite a few albums. I'll definitely check them out. Tremendous band. Yep. Um, so, you know, part of the title of your book is Remade Rock and Roll. So I'd love to ask you for each band, Kiss, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, and Stars, what is the biggest thing each band contributed to remake rock and roll? Wow, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, with Kiss, one of the things that KISS did that, that, that probably was their most pro profound achievement is that they influenced bands because 
they were so easy to replicate. Their music was easy to play. And I had so many musicians tell me that, you know, Kiss wanted, Kiss made them want to be rock stars because the music was simple. It wasn't like Rush. You didn't have to learn these crazy scales and, you know, fleet fingered like Steve Vai, you know, you didn't have to learn that stuff. You could easily play along to Kiss records. And that was, that was a profound thing that they contributed to, to just influence really big people. I mean, you know, the, the Kim Thales and the Scott Ians and, you know, I get into people like Alex Kane and Ginger Wildheart and, and so many others who were just turned on by these bands because they were easy to play. Um, it makes sense. I'm sorry? It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And you know. Cheap Trick influenced so many bands, because so many other bands because of just the humor and they brought a sense of humor into music, um, which, you know, didn't really, didn't really exist much. I mean, you didn't have a lot of um, sort of, I don't want to say cartoonish bands out there at the time, but, but Cheap Trick, there was so much humor in the music and in the presentation that it really, you know, helped influence a, a lot of bands with, Aerosmith, um, that's kind of a tough one because they, I, I, I think with Aerosmith, it's just they, they brought that whole New York Dolls sensibility merged with the Rolling Stones. And, you know, whatever the, the Dolls couldn't do, Aerosmith were able to do. I mean, Aerosmith could play in tune um, for one thing. And they, 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 were, they were fuck ups, but they weren't as bad as the dolls. I mean, they weren't dying. Um, so I think, and a lot of people, you know, have, have told me they, they, when they look at Aerosmith, they look at what the dolls could have been. Um, and, but, but then Aerosmith, obviously, you know, something I get into in the book is, you know, in the eighties, all these bands start taking turns and Aerosmith becomes this other thing, this explosive, you know, huge poppy, you know, theatrical, even Vegasy, literally a, Ve a Las Vegas rock band. Um, and with Stars, I mean, their influence is, was probably not as great, obviously not as great as the other bands, but, but to me, Stars represents that level of band in the 70s that didn't quite make it, but really, you know, they left a mark. They did leave a mark. I mean, Stars fans are some of the most devoted. I don't know if you're on like Stars fan pages on Facebook, but um, or or even go to Stars reunion shows. Um, but their fans are incredibly dedicated, um, and they're also kind of a stealth, influential band. I mean, a lot of their stuff was before its time. I mean, they really, you know. They were they were prescient. They they really kind of um, were before they were glam metal before there was glam metal. Essentially, they were they they came out a few years too. You know, they were they were a few years too early. I mean, if they would have started coming out in nineteen eighty you know eighty three, then it could have been a different story for them. They would have been a lot older, but it would have been a different story. You know, one of the things with Cheap Trick is obviously we know now huge Beatles influence to Cheap Trick. Um, but as a kid growing up 
in the 70s, I was growing up in an era that was post Beatles. The Beatles were no longer happening. Of course, they were still getting airplay. But when a band isn't active, they have less influence on you as you're growing up. And I'm, you know, and, and, and before our listeners start yelling at me, the Beatles get all the respect in the world for everything they've done and everybody they've influenced. I mean, all these bands we talk about would not be here if it wasn't for the Beatles. But as Mark loves to say, timelines, everything. And in my timeline, I grew up Paul McCartney and wings, not the Beatles. Do you think cheap trick part of what they might bring to rock and roll is a backwards way to introduce the Beatles to a new generation of fans who weren't there for the Beatles. I mean, yes, literally the fact that, you know, they, they cover Sergeant Peppers and you know, that they, 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 they do so many Beatles covers all the time um, or John Lennon covers, or they do a lot of covers period. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, it's funny. Dale, Dale Crover from the Melvins told me when I interviewed him, um, he said that seeing Kiss on Paul Lynn was the Beatles moment for him. Because all of these other guys, you know, Bunny Carlos, Richie Rano, all these guys I interviewed said that seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan was a moment for them. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's true. I mean, that, that, that television show is what really, you know, started this whole generation of musicians but when you look at cheap trick it's like yeah they, they came out and you know the first record was 1977 and you know that was you know 15 years after the beatles started so there there was a band playing beatles music but they were our own and they, they came out during this really weird time because they they weren't quite hard rock they weren't quite punk they weren't quite new wave they were so different from what was going on at the time for for me cheap tricks introduction was completely opposite of my kiss introduction it was the music way before the visuals i mean it was hearing budokan on the radio and going wow this is a great song great song and going to the record store and going i need this cheap trick budokan album and falling in love with it and then seeing the visuals of this band. And to your point, it was always cool for me to look at it and go, God, Bunny Carlos could just be my dad. It just looks like our dad playing drums. How cool is that? My dad could be up there playing drums. Jeez, <laughs> he looks 60 years old in 1979. He did. He did. <laughs> Um, well, and they're a band that should, I felt should have been bigger than they ended up being because the songs are there. They're so good. And they keep producing music to this day that yeah. is pushing well, the edge. I, I mean, Doug, do you think out of these bands, Cheap Trick might be the hardest working band who does it for the pure love of what they're doing? There, there's no question. And, and they're also the favorite of the four, my favorite of the four bands. I mean, I've seen Cheap Trick probably 51, 52 times um, already. And, you know, it's, they're, they're this band that just never stops. They, they you know, they were, um, in fact, all four of these bands were on tour or about to go on tour before the pandemic started. So that's, to me, that's remarkable. I mean, it is the staying power of all four of these bands. The fact that they're still touring and they still, you know, Ace Freely just released an album with, with, uh, 
with Robin Zander on it. Yep. So it's like, these guys are still collaborating, you know, 50, almost 50 years on. So it's just- Stars was supposed to go out with Angel, right? Yeah. It yeah. was like yeah. Angel Stars reunion. Yeah, yeah. They, they had gone out the previous year, which I went to a couple of those shows as well. Um, and, you know, they, they sounded great. They really did. So it's like all of these guys just, they want to go out there and play. They're all 70 years old, around 70-ish. Um, and they're still out there. I, I find that incredibly admirable. You know, there, there aren't a lot of bands from that era who are still doing it and plugging plugging away as fiercely as these guys are. Mark 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 brought up on on a past episode how how great it is that now we are in 2020, and all of these bands we grew up loving and taking shit for loving basically are still here. And we can stand back proudly and basically say, fuck all of you. We won. Our band is still here. Where's your band? Where's that band you said was much better than, than Kiss or Cheap Trick right. or Stars or Aerosmith? They're not here. Our band is still playing arenas. The, the thing that's remarkable, I, I saw two of the end of the road shows. I saw one in Toronto where I'm living now and one in New York where I was living before and um to, to me it was stunning that how good they still are i mean oh, of yeah. course some of it might be a little goosed in the background i mean who knows what's going on technically but i mean paul paul stanley you look at him it's like this guy doesn't age and he's like as limber and as just like He's dancing and running around and getting flown up and you know across the arena. I, it's just it's just amazing to see that stuff now. It, it it is. I mean, when 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 I reviewed the end of the road show that I went to, literally like a week before the lockdown happened, you know, my thought was, thank you because they brought back all of my and and adding David Lee Roth to the opening act was even better for me because I sat back I sat back as a 55 year old guy going wow this makes me smile because this is the rock and roll I love they're still doing it thank you for all the memories it wasn't oh he couldn't play that note oh he couldn't hit the same note he couldn't do anymore oh Gene's not jumping high in the air like he used to in the set no it was you're still here doing everything you can pushing 70 years old because as we all know it's harder and harder as you get older to do this stuff thank you i mean you guys you just make you know rock rock and roll is about smiling and being happy and having a great time and that's all that matters it and and maybe i'm simplifying it but it's not about being able to play a perfect guitar solo or a perfect drum solo or whatever it's about leaving that concert with a smile on your face going god i feel good but here's the other thing and this is something that gene will tell you uh although he didn't tell me this but it's like you know you leave you know getting your money's worth and that to to, to them that really is all that matters they want to give you your money's your money's worth you're paying a hundred dollars for a ticket face value it's like yeah. they can give you a hundred dollars worth of a show and they do well, and that's kind of to Mike's point from earlier as well, with regards to all of that. You, if you're paying money, you want to see a show, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of different levels of shows and you expect certain things from certain artists and you want to see that, whatever it might be. 
So that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that the latest Kiss tour is one of the coolest I've ever seen. Yeah. No, it's spectacular. I was, I was very impressed. And I, you know, I've seen them over the years. I saw them, I only saw them once without the makeup. And I wasn't, I wasn't crazy about that era. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I, I fell off the Kiss train at some point and then I got back on. Yeah. But, um, you know, when they came back for the reunion shows in 96, I mean, I was, that's when I was all in again. I supported them through the non-makeup years, but there was some pretty lean years. Mm -hmm. I, I still can remember Lick It Up being one of the worst shows I'd ever seen. It was just so, because they were lost. They weren't who they were anymore and they didn't know who they should be. I mean, Paul Stanley was fine, but the rest of them, especially Gene was just like, didn't know what to even do. And, yeah. and, and, I, and it's kind of like the Van Hagar thing. You know, when Sammy joins the band, then they just forget everything that happened up until that point. They're different so bands. Was, yeah, which is understandable, but it's very hard to support them on their first tour when they're just playing the whole 5150 record if you're not a big fan of that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I get it. And, and see what changed for me or where they came back around was the tour of Hot in the Shade because then they brought all the old songs back. And that goes beyond the makeup. It's just like, how can you not love to hear I Stole Your Love and I Want You and all these different songs they hadn't played in seven, eight years. It was just thrilling. And then Revenge comes out and like, wow, this is really, really good. And then we get the reunion. I, I think with me, it was more I after dynasty i kind of my, my musical taste changed and i yeah. became more into punk and new wave and mm -hmm. it just didn't have the appeal to me right. anymore so i kind of ignored a lot of that you know the stuff that came after that um but you know it's just it, they were always you know they were they were always there for me what i you know they, they were always a band that i loved but I just kind of fell off for a bit. They, 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 Kiss were always a band you could count on in the sense that you knew next year there was going to be something. There was going to be another tour. There was going to be another album. Year yeah. after, it was, you could count on that like you could count on the sun rising and setting. There was going to be another Kiss tour. And, yeah. you know, we're fortunate, you know, for all of these bands, eh, you know, maybe not so much stars, but, that we still have stuff from them and we have so much past catalog from them that, you know, we always say our favorite band could be a band that existed for one year and released one album. You know, how do you get 50 years of love out of one piece of music that was released? Yeah. You got these bands that have been doing this for pushing 50 years now and continuing to tour and release music and try different things. And some of it doesn't work. Some of it works better than the others, but that's, what's great to be a fan of these bands is there's still something. I mean, I, you know, I was like a little kid a couple of weeks ago when it came out that cheap tricks going to release a new album. Yeah. I mean, how amazing is that? It's 2020 and we're going to get a new cheap trick album. And was it last week? You know, we had a brand new ACDC album and a brand new Alice Cooper single and album is coming. It's like, I'm sorry, what year is this? <laughs> it's funny, you know, when I, I interviewed Sebastian Bach for the book and, and he told me pretty much what you just said. He said, you know, I, he said, I love Kiss and I used to buy and I will buy anything, you know, from Kiss, you know, 
sound unheard, like like having never heard anything. They're just, it's like, I want as much, as long as they're on this planet, I want as much art as I can from these guys. I just, I would right. just buy it, you know, unconditionally, you know, blindly because this is what I love and I need to support them. And I, 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 I get it. I mean, that's a, that's a pure fan's perspective. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I there might be the music that comes out from a lot of these bands now may not have the same impact as it did in the seventies or even the eighties, but I will blindly support them because I feel like as a fan, that's what I can do to give back and say, thank you absolutely for everything. I say this time and time again, thank you, Paul Stanley for destroying your body for nearly 50 years of my entertainment, because, you know, he's had knees replaced, hips replaced, shoulders replaced, everything replaced. So I can go to a kiss concert and go, yes, <laughs> best time of my life here. Yeah, you know? The only time the bands ever lose me is when they go way off course so Aerosmith would be a perfect example. I loved what they were and hated what they became. Mm. Whereas I can't say that about Cheap Trick because if you play one of the last two or three Cheap Trick records, they're just as viable to me as the stuff they were putting out in the 70s and 80s. But Aerosmith was a horrible disappointment because you know they wanted to sound, well, they probably didn't, but Steven Tyler just took them in this direction of American Idol, and that's not what I want. That's one of the other things I think that's so incredible about Cheap Trick. I mean, you could kind of say the same thing about Styx as well as as uh, Ario Speedwagon. Maybe they, you know, ventured off a little bit here and there to get another hit, but overall, the body of work has stayed pretty consistent, and that's what I'm looking for as a fan. It's not that I don't want to see them try new things, but just don't get, you know, no one can be a better Cheap Trick than Cheap Trick, and they seem to understand that. Well, there, I appreciate that. It's, it, you just triggered something with me. Uh, you know, one of the things that was pretty interesting, at least to me in the book, is that there was the butterfly effect, that something small that happened, or not something small, but something that happened early on could have this huge impact later on. So for instance, you know, Desmond Child collaborated with Kiss on I Was Made For Loving You, and then subsequently, you know, when they took the makeup off, um, and then uh, Paul Stanley recommended that Desmond work with Bon Jovi. So Desmond worked with Bon Jovi, made them huge. And then it was because of his work with Bon Jovi and others that Desmond Child was called by John Kalodner to work with Aerosmith on their record. So right. if it wasn't for Desmond and Paul hooking up, Aerosmith would have never made, or would likely never had made that turn that you're talking about and become this humongous so, so band. I, Tommy, you can blame Paul Stanley for Aerosmith. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and it's not that I hated the 80s Aerosmith. Some of that stuff is really good. It's the last three or four records where they just have completely lost their way. You know, that, that's more the issue. But, but no, you're right, Doug, that it is a butterfly effect where little things start in one area and all of a sudden it really cascades into something different. And, 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 and Doug, I'd love to get your feel on this, but Tommy, to your point, you know, as a fan, we always sit back and go, man, you know, we want Destroyer again, or we want Rock and Roll Over again, or we want Alive again, or whatever. And whether it's Cheap Trick or Aerosmith or Stars, but at the same time, as we mentioned at the very beginning, these bands are all pushing 70 years old. They're not the same people 
who recorded that album back in the 70s when they were a bunch of 20 year olds hungry for success, they're all probably with the exception of stars are sitting comfortably in a nice palatial house somewhere. They probably never have to work again if they don't want to. How can you write the same sort of music about your life when you don't have that hunger? Well, here's the thing that it's funny you say that. I mean, Cheap Trick, they do write new songs, but a lot of their material from their, you know, their pretty recent records, a lot of that stuff is old, has been, you know, was written years and years yep. ago because, you know, Rick Nielsen is just this incredibly prolific songwriter. He's got stuff yeah. in the inventory that he plucks out, <clears throat> reworks and, you know, massages to put on a new record. So, um, you know, that's why their records have been incredibly consistent throughout the year because they're, they're, they all come from the same place. Um, with, with Kiss, it's funny because, you know, I, I love Sonic Boom. That, that was a record that I, I thought that was as, you know, that was their best, to me, their best record since Love Gun. Cause I, I think Love Gun is, was their best record before Sonic Boom. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, then, it, but before that they had the, you know, the Psycho Circus with the, you know, the, with the, the original band, the original band. <laughs> I, it's like, that, to me, that was a terrible record. I just, I just yeah. didn't like it. I didn't think that it had any good songs on it. And then, then after Sonic Boom, they did Monster, which I think was okay, but not nearly as good as Sonic Boom. So they have it in them to do that, to make a record like classic Kiss. Um, as does Aerosmith, and that and that here and there lies the rub for me because it's not that I expect Kiss to put out Love Gun again. I I get that they've changed, and I, and your point is great with Cheap Trick having older material. But even if the material is older, the consistency of the way it sounds is the same as far as heavy guitars, right? Good hooks, things like that. My issue with Aerosmith is that freaking song, I Don't Want to Lose a Thing. I can't stand that shit. And that's what I don't want them to be. I just want them to make rock and roll records. Doesn't have to be 70s rock records, just rock records. Yeah. And they just, and I'm telling you, it's Steven Tyler from what I understand. He wants to be like American Idol. Well, it's funny you say you bring that, that song up because, you know, I talk about, um, different movies that these bands were involved in. Obviously, I talk about Detroit Rock City and yeah. for the um, the closing song. Nothing Can Keep uh, Me From You. Yeah, which is the same songwriter, like Diane Warren. Yep. And, it's, and it's essentially Paul Stanley trying to- To do, get a number one single. To get to yes. get a number one single, but also doing something very similar to what Steven Tyler did with that song. In yeah. fact, you know, uh, Peter Chris in his book, in his uh, memoir, you know, basically said it was Paul doing, you know, Steven Tyler karaoke, which, you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's, I guess it's a kind of a fair critique of that song, but, you know, and that's something I get, in, I get into the book as well. Like at, at cer a certain point, all of these bands lose confidence. They just lose confidence and they need outside help, or if they don't need it, they get it thrust upon them because, everyone else lose confidence in the band. So, you know, Cheap right. Trick had that period in the 80s, you know, yeah. when they were getting song doctors, you know, coming in and, and working with them and giving them a lot of treacly garbage that they, you know, they, they, they recorded through gritted teeth. Um, you know, Aerosmith 
had the same issue. I mean, they they took up, you know, they, they, they took up with Diane Warren and they did a lot of collaborations with Desmond Child and they were very trepidatious going into that. Um, and then KISS, you know, obviously used a lot of outside, you know, a lot, a lot of outside help after, after like Dynasty, they started, you know, getting yeah. into using more, you know, co-writers. So, you know, all these bands have, have that, have that, that hurdle. They, they just, somehow they can't, they can't sustain the consistency, but then now you see Cheap Trick. They're putting out record after record of, of their songs and they sound great. Does, well, and, do you, go ahead, Tommy. Well, I was just gonna say, and I, I don't begrudge them getting a number one hit. You know, I get all that. Just don't play it live. You know, it was- <laughs> But if really it's a number hard. one hit, you gotta play it live. <laughs> I know, but it's just, so, it, but it, it's so, it's a, it just divides the audience because, you know, I remember the last time I saw Aerosmith, they're playing Seasons of Wither and everyone should, you know, few people around me were like, yeah, finally, some stuff off of, you know, early records. And all these people are like, what's this? You know, and then they do, I don't want to lose a thing. And everybody goes crazy. And I'm just like, God. Well, everybody's got to, everybody at a show has got to have a bathroom break song. Right. Yeah, but it feels like it just goes on forever. Well, that's the thing, you know, with, with Cheap Trick, their, their biggest ever song was not, I want you to want me. It was not Surrender. It was the flame. flame. And you know, people forget that. That was that was their big song. That was a number one hit. And I have to say, I, I think it's a gorgeous song. I love the song. And they have that's nothing fantastic. to do with the writing of it. It's a fantastic song. But yeah. but they that, that that's a song that they did not want to record. They right. they were they were not happy with being forced by their label Epic to record that song. So, right. you know, it but they but they realized that it was a huge hit. Robin actually, I mean, he loves to sing it and he sings that song beautifully. So, you know, they play it all the time at, at, in concert. They, they, they didn't originally, and it's funny, Larry, Larry Mazur, who was their manager um, in the mid nineties, told me that he didn't want them to play that song because it wasn't who they should be at the time. Right. Um, they shouldn't be playing that kind of music live because he 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 sort of fit them into the Stone Temple Pilots kind of alt rock kind of he wanted to put them in he wanted to put them in that kind of mold and you know that 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 song wouldn't be appropriate for that. Doug, Doug, do you do you do you do you think you know you talked about how they lose confidence, but is part of it also that these bands have basically accomplished everything? I mean, they've toured the world countless times. They've got gold and platinum albums. They've influenced major musicians. They may have already had top 10 singles, top 10 albums. And that in order for them to reach yet another height, that's what they feel like they have to do is like, I'm Paul Stanley. I've never had a number one single. I mm. want a number one single. Therefore, yeah. what do I got to do to get to number one? I want, you know... The, you know, from Psycho Circus to Sonic Boom to Monster, Kiss so desperately wanted a number one Billboard album. But here's the but, thing. Here's the thing with Kiss, especially. It's like it wasn't for lack of trying. I mean, he didn't have to do that that song at the end of Detroit Rock City. I mean, he had Forever, which I think is a great Kiss song. It's a great power yes. ballad, and it was very yes. much in that zone. But that came organically. It's not like he had to 
I, I don't think he had to go kicking and screaming into that because it's just a great song. And, you know, he had a huge, I guess they had a somewhat big hit with Shandy, which I'm not as enamored of. I just, I just don't like that song, but that was a pretty big song, but it what didn't sound like a Kiss song. It sounded like a Pablo Cruz song or a Firefall song. But, but, you know, none of those songs went to number one. True. So, in, you know, Mark had a conversation once with Gene Simmons about, you know, the drum sound on Creatures of the Night is the most amazing drum sound ever. Why didn't you do the drum sound on Lick It Up? And Gene's answer was, because nobody bought Creatures of the Night. Why would we, we recreate what didn't work? Mm. So to some extent, forever, an incredible song. What it went to, what, number eight in the charts? But mm -hmm. it didn't go to number one. So whatever we did to make a number eight song wasn't right, wasn't good enough. We got to try something different to get to number one. Oh, Diane Warren, let's do that. And let's throw it on a movie soundtrack. That's the formula. And I don't begrudge them that, but for me, the difference like with Cheap Trick is, is look, I'm not a fan of I Want You to Want Me because I've heard it so many times, but that's not a problem. I'm willing to sit through that because they give me five or six really great songs that either I've never heard or have not heard in years. So that's the trade-off. But with Aerosmith specifically, the problem is the fact that they do all this Diane Warren garbage, and then they give you all the other garbage that they play on the radio, and they don't really ever give you a broad sense of their catalog. I don't want to hear Walk This Way ever again, or any of the, I'm just, I'm tired of it. Play something off of rocks that I haven't heard. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the age old dilemma of like, yeah. just, they're not playing to you. I mean, they're playing to right. the multitudes and you know, you feel a little like, you know, I want to, I want you to give me, give me some, give me something from me. But yeah. I have to say, I went, you know, I, I went to the, the, the Cheap Trick Aerosmith tour quite a few years back yep. uh, when Cheap Trick were opening for Aerosmith. And I got to say, Aerosmith were, were, dynamic they were just so great live and and when they're on they are they are sort of hard to beat they really are hard to beat just as a, as a live band I mean I know with them too there's a lot of spectacle and you know who knows if there's stuff going on in the back and the instruments you may not see but um they they just sounded spectacular and, and they they I agree and speaking of that tour, I, I saw that several times, too. And I remember standing next to my friend who I went with and they're like, OK, we're going to play a couple songs off our new record that wasn't out yet at the time. And we're both looking at each other like, oh, Jesus, here we go. And they played these songs and they were like, wow, I was like, these are really good. Then we go out and buy the record. It sounds nothing like the live version. Then they just it's keyboards and all this nonsense. And I'm like, you just wrecked a perfectly good Aerosmith song and made it sound like a Diane Warren song. Yeah. So I'll forever be the complainer, I guess. <laughs> another thing. It's like a band like Cheap Trick and a band like Stars. I mean, they're, they're not playing the big venues anymore um, no. for the most part. They're playing much smaller venues. So they, they have the luxury of, of yes. whipping out, you know, the, the, the stuff that real true fans want to hear because they're the ones who are filling the seats. I mean, yeah. you know, people are bringing their kids to Aerosmith and their grandparents to Aerosmith and Kiss shows. So they're not really required to to play to the hardcore crowd but it's like when you're when, when you're playing a, a thousand seat venue or a 500 seat venue 
those 500 or 1000 people are your true diehard fans. So you have to sort of throw them some balls or they're not coming back. Absolutely. And I'm okay with Kiss's current set list because if you look at it, for the amount of time they spend on stage, which is two hours, it's a very good broad view going all the way through the 80s and everything. So I'm fine with that. And to your point, you're right about Cheap Trick, but the nice thing about Cheap Trick is they're always willing to mix it up, which is a big thing for me. Even if it's a song I don't particularly like, like Waiting on the Man, they'll still play it. And I still would rather hear that than whatever so to me the variety is good i am i'm picking the bone here more on aerosmith but but you know tommy to 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 doug's point that's depending on how you look at it good or bad that's because cheap trick is not as as quote successful as aerosmith they aren't selling they aren't headlining ten thousand seat arenas and are responsible for filling it yeah they are an opening act who a lot of times has no pressure to sell tickets or they're playing to 500 people, they're playing to less people. So they don't have that pressure of, well, we got to play a set that's going to bring in the casual fans who only heard our radio hits. That's why Cheap Trick, as Cheap Trick fans, and we love this, they can change that set list every single night because it's playing to people like us. Like they played that that CHS field thing for the for Matter, they had a thirty five minute set because it was all people doing it for free. They played Gunner Ray's Hell. That's an eight minute song. I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen because it's one that was thrown out that I would never in a million years guessed. I was so, at that show. Oh, were you? Okay. I flew from New York to St. Paul to see that show. Um, okay. You know, I, I I did it. It was couple of reasons I did it, but one of them was to see, you know, Ace come out and play with Gene for the first time, and also to see, in a long time, and to see Cheap Trick open for a member of KISS, which they hadn't done in forever. So, yeah, that was a pretty, that was a pretty great show, I thought. You know, I I wish they would have played longer. I wish everyone would have played longer, but uh, it was a good show. Yeah, I loved it. I, really I mean, aren't, aren't, again, aren't we fortunate that all these bands have done so much, good or bad, that we can sit here for almost almost two hours now and just scratch the surface of dissecting them? Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of bands out there that you could do that. And, 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 we, and we joke about this because we're a KISS podcast. We, we're, we're coming up, uh, we just passed 400 episodes, weekly episodes. Who in their right mind would think there's enough KISS stuff out there to talk about for 90 minutes every week for 400 weeks? It's, you're absolutely right. And, and there's, there's stuff in the book that I cover that, I mean, we didn't even get into the Scat Brothers, which is a, which is a KISS and Stars related band. I don't know if yep. you know of these guys. But, uh, okay, so Scat Brothers was Paul, what was, sorry, it was Sean Delaney. It was his band. Oh, um, yep. in 1979, 80, with yes. Pete Weevil, who was the original Stars bassist, and Richie Fontana, who played on Paul's solo album. Yep. So they they recorded two records, and that stuff is like way out there. And I'd love to come back and talk about that album. So I mean, yeah, I mean the, the Scat Brothers had basically nothing here in the U.S., but they did pretty good in australia australia yeah yeah but they had they had one act they actually had they had one big disco song in the u.s they were a disco rock band uh they had one big disco song called walk the night um 
but yeah, so that's, th there are so many like layers to kiss and tangential things that are so interesting to me. Um, you know, and then, you know, Gene, I discovered that Gene and Rick Nielsen used to like send songs to each other, either to, you know, Gene would send uh, Rick songs to potentially cover, you know, that he wrote to potentially cover for you know, in Cheap Trick. And then Rick would send Gene songs to cover and kiss. So there was a lot of that going on. And it's just, there's, there's, there's so many tentacles that come out of Kiss that to me are, I mean, because they've been around for so many years, it's like they're, and they've worked with so many interesting people that, you know, there's just, there's so much to say about them that hasn't been said. Yeah, yeah that, that's one true. of the beauty, that's one of the beauties of Kiss as a Kiss fan is when you start going down that rabbit hole of six really? degrees, it's like, oh, Sean Delaney did this for Kiss. But then did you know that he had this credit on this band's album? Oh right. my God, I got to check that out because he was involved in Kiss. And then Bill Coyne manages Billy Idol and, you know, all these other bands. And you're just like, oh, I got to go check them out. Because that, again, because of a band having such history and becoming so big, we're fortunate that we can forever be discovering those new little relationships. And, and that's what happened to me with the book. I mean, I started researching it probably three years ago and just like uncovering just the weirdest stuff. Like the guy, one of the guys who worked on um, Peter Chris's uh, Chelsea album, the band Chelsea, um, worked on the Eric Carr album, Lightning, the disco band he was in on Casablanca. So there's that weird connection. And there's just all these like bizarre, you know, sort of integrations that, that just came up. And I, it's like, this is just me going online or looking at album covers and just making all these connections. It was like it's you just, could make a mafia chart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, of all that. The, 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 fam the, the, family, the family tree of these bands is so phenomenal oh, yeah. and and how the roots end up crossing each other you know you might have four individual trees but the branches and the roots start intermingling and it, that that that's what's great about all of this yeah yeah it's funny you know like i one of the one of the big kind of characters in the book that i wasn't actually able to talk to was jack douglas who produced aerosmith cheap trick and stars albums but he never produced a Kiss record, and I always thought that was interesting, but then I read about why he never produced a Kiss record. You think it would be an obvious thing. He was one of the architects of the 70s hard rock sound, but then there was an issue after Destroyer came out where the band reached out to Jack Douglas to produce their next record, which would have been Rock and Roll Over, um, but uh, Bob Ezrin took offense and thought it was kind of a betrayal that they didn't ask him back, but they wanted Jack Douglas, who was kind of one of his protégés. So there was a whole complex kind of interesting little thing happening, um, which took you know Jack out of the picture. But it's like these names are so many of these names are you know connected connected with all these bands, and and I I just found that really fascinating during the research. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep. It's amazing what you learned. 
Um, Doug, where can, now first, first of all, the book comes out December 1st, December right? 1st, December yeah. 1st. So coming Great up here in a few weeks. Right before my birthday. That's, that's, we, we did it intentionally to, uh, <laughs> yeah, see, it, <laughs> it even says something about you in the book. Yeah, yeah. Of course it does. <laughs> uh, that's a good Christmas gift. It, yeah. it, it, it's a perfect Christmas gift to your, you know, your your favorite music fan, and and doesn't have to be a fan of the four bands. I I just think it's an interesting story. I mean, as the seventies rock and roll head, it's it's just, it, there's a lot of meat there. So yeah, exactly. So will um, it be? Where's Amazon and and all the bookstores or where? Yeah, it'll be. It's 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 uh, published by Hachette, so it's going to be in all the bookstores. If you can get to a bookstore, it, it'll be on all the you know Amazon. Barnes and Noble, Walmart, all the sites. So uh, it's there. It's 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 out, and you just turn your computer on and buy it. Is there going to be an audio book? There, there will eventually. Uh, not sure uh, who or when it's going to be. Who will do it or when it's going to be done? Uh, but it's it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Doug, this, this you know this is this is exactly what we geek out on every week here. Is just you know fans chatting about their favorite bands and and we love the fact that we can get sidetracked off of kiss and talk about other bands that have a relationship or that we're just fans of because let's be honest the roots you know we're 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 kiss kiss fans and if we're fans of kiss most fans are also going to like cheap trick and they're going to like aerosmith and they're going to like stars and they're going to like ted nugent and bob seeger and alice cooper so it's all fair game to talk about and yeah, I'm a huge book. Stars fan, so this was really cool. Oh well, I'm I'm, I'm glad like, to hear that. Big yeah. big Stars fan, big big. And, and that's that's something that, I, that 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 if nothing else, if this book can sort of shed light on these, you know, undiscovered bands, even even Cheap Trick in its way is 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 an undiscovered band. I mean, people know the hits; they don't really know a lot of the later stuff. So you know, I, if 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 I accomplish that if i if i turn people on to stars and to cheap trick i i'd be very happy that's yep. great for sure for sure doug thank you so much do you, do you have a website that you want to plug personal website have, or anything no no <laughs> just <laughs> go buy the book people I, just go, I just, go buy the book you're on you're on facebook they can track yeah. you down on facebook and on twitter a twitter as well so yeah i'm out there Awesome. Doug, this, this was such a fascinating conversation. You know, like I said, we're almost at two hours here and you know, that's what I personally love about this show is we just go and let the conversation take it. I can go on forever about this stuff. Cause I don't really have a lot of people to talk to about this. I have like maybe four or five friends who like kiss and Aerosmith and stars, but and cheap trick, but you know what? This is, this is a pleasure for me. I really, we, 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 we hear that from our listeners all the time yeah, yeah. where it's like, yeah. You know, I have That's no, none of my friends are KISS fans. So I feel like you guys are the friends I didn't grow up with. And I get to yell at the screen and agree with you and disagree with you. And we're like, hey, if that's what we can accomplish, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're, you're doing God's work. Really <laughs> we're doing Gene's work. <laughs> doing Gene's work. God of Thunder's work. Exactly. Doug, thank you so thank much. You. This was a great pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure too. And nice to meet y'all. I love that conversation with Doug. It was, it was such, such a, a three sides geek fest. And it He's wasn't just, 
yeah, he's one of us. And it was just so great that it wasn't limited to Kiss. We could talk Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, and Stars. And yeah. and and Lisa, I knew you you would love this because you are a big Stars fan. I, I think mean, it's great. Wow. I'm, I think that it's great that Stars got some equal attention in this book and everything else because they're always one of those very underrated just glossed over bands in my opinion. Well, you know, I also thought it was interesting that you have, you know, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, Kiss, and then you have just stars in there. That's what really intrigued me. Like, why stars out of, you know, you have these three recognizable bands, and then you put stars in there. I thought that was an interesting Yeah. Concept. Like, why stars? Like, I wanted to know why. It, it, exa know exactly, because as, as we talked about, Geez, why wasn't it Alice Cooper instead? Or to Mark's point, why wasn't it Ted Nugent? Those were obvious choices, but he put stars in here and you're like, wow, that's really, that in itself is paying tribute to stars, just putting them in the same company as these three bands on the cover of a book. Yep. Yeah, I agree. But now I want, now I can't wait to read it because I want to, I want to, especially the story that he told, I want to know what happens now. Like that, yeah, what well, well, was the shocking act of violence? Yes. Nice. Now, I could just make a phone call and find out, but I want to read the book. <laughs> then make the phone call. Then make the phone call. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I think ho homework, um, you know, between Cheap Trick, Kiss, Aerosmith, Stars, which, which band, you know, let's prioritize them. Put them in your order. What are your favorite bands? I mean, for me, um, Boy, you know, it depends on the day of the week, but more often than not, I might put Cheap Trick as one and Kiss as two. And then I would probably put Aerosmith and then Stars, because, again, as I explained in the show, Stars just didn't connect with me. Um, right. No disrespect to them. It just didn't connect with me. So, you know, how would you put these four bands in order of your favorites? Tommy, how would you do it? Same as Michael. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally opposite. I put, I put Kiss first, Stars, then Cheap Trick and Aerosmith. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to see what other people say. So then, when this when this uh, hits in the following week will be the first December and that's when the book hits the shelf. So guys, let's try and give them a good launch and, and pre-order because it's a really interesting book. Yeah, it's very it's very reminiscent of those books out of the 70s that I remember buying like through the Scholastic Book Club. That's exactly it's, what I thought when I saw the picture. I know. I was just like, oh, this is so cool. I felt I felt like a little kid when I saw this. I'm just like, oh, this is like a Scholastic book. <laughs> and he did it without even knowing. I know. That's the beautiful part. It wasn't contrived. Yeah, it, it felt like it was a book like Cream Magazine would release. Right. Oh, and so we should mention too, Mark disappeared because, well, computer Mark problems. Computer issues and, and I don't know how else to say it. So that's why he he vaporized. Yeah. You know, yeah. Not, 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 not that it surprises anybody. No. Right. It, it, and this look this problem will not end until he gets a new computer he says he's blaming zoom for the technical yes. problems we're pretty sure it's a computer problem yeah i don't think zoom uh, built their platform and worried about people who are using windows 97 <laughs> when windows 3 yeah <laughs> oh poor mark we love him yeah. he's such he's such a integral part of this family but 
you know, and, and part of me is like, what will we do when he fixes all of his technical issues and there's nothing left? He's how, do, what, how does the running joke live on? I'm sure, if, I'm sure something new would prop up. Something new will pop up. Yeah, that'll he's, be something new. He's a, he's a constant in an ever-changing world. <laughs> anyway, you got your homework. Head over to Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Twitter. We're everywhere. Leave your homework answer. Um, if you are watching us on YouTube, hit that red subscribe button. Uh, just a quick shout out. Thank you. Just past 10,000 YouTube subscribers. That's Thank awesome. you, everybody. Thank you, guys. We appreciate this. Um, if you are listening on Spotify, follow us. If you're on iTunes, subscribe, leave a review and a rating. Um, it, it, it all helps. It all helps people. Um, that's it. Yep. I don't think we got anything else we need to plug. Oh, uh, my in two weeks. I can plug that. And quit what? sending me my birthday in two weeks. Yes, it's weeks. it's it's Lisa's birthday in a couple of weeks. So we'll have to celebrate that. And for those of you that have been private messaging me, I don't have Carrie Stevens' phone number, so just fuck off. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like like we're gonna... been messaging you then. Yes, they like were. like we're gonna they let anybody Lisa, say this, or next time you hear from Lisa, say that. I'm like not Lisa, not Lisa, or not Lisa. I'm sorry, Carrie. And I'm just like, what? like we're gonna let any of our listeners make coffee for Carrie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please, you guys are such a dorks. Um, you know, I mean, hey, listen, that Carrie Stevens interview, fun. It went over phenomenal with the fans. I just got the first week numbers over 12,000 plays in just one week for her interview. So thank you so much. Atlanta. Hmm? We were going to hang out. She's supposed to come to Atlanta. Nobody's wow. going anywhere now. Yeah. Maybe eventually. All right, everybody. That's it. Three sides of the coin. We'll see everybody next week. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.